Okay, well, we are going to be talking about hope this morning, as you may have picked up from the devotion where we lit the Advent candle. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. I am thumbing there myself. As we get there, we're going to be talking about hope. You guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? Are you feeling the turkey burn still? A little, a little too much tryptophan? We, we have cooked four turkeys this week. That's more turkeys than I've cooked in my whole life. And we've eaten three of them. There's one more pending tonight. So pray for me that I'm not shaped like a turkey by next week. My legs and arms are just tiny on my giant body. I will also pray for you for better things than that even. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first turkey was gone. Anyways, all right. So uh, Romans 15, 13. Oh, no, we'll, we'll get back there in just a minute. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a short prayer and a little bit of an exhortation and even a wish from Paul to the church at Rome whom he has never met. Just a desire that the God of hope would fill them with joy and peace so that they may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit as they believe. This is an awesome, calming, stilling verse, isn't it? Just a powerful point of meditation. I think it's because inside, each of us knows that we need hope. In fact, I think it's true that more hope yields more abundant life in us, and less hope yields less abundant life in us. In other words, your hope, the amount of hope that you have in Christ, directly corresponds to your experience of the abundant life that Jesus desires for you as a Christian. And so because of that, today we're going to unpack hope. We're going to unpack the hope of the Advent season. And beyond that, we're going to unpack the hope that we have in life. Because we don't just have hope at Christmas time, right? We just don't have hope one month a year. We have hope every day of our lives because of who Jesus is and his commitment to us. So before we get into that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message today. I thank you for the time that we have as a church family to focus on you, to listen to you. Father, right now we pray that you would take care of any distractions you would draw our hearts and minds towards you. As we talk about hope, we know that one thing is true, that while we desire it, there's a place in each of us where we don't believe, where we don't trust, and so we don't invite, we don't act on hope. And so today, would you be pointing that out to us? Would you be drawing us into greater hope? And would your word do its holy work in our hearts now? in each day of our lives. Use me, Lord. May Jesus be greater in this message than I am. And may his truth ring truer than ever before in our lives. We pray this in his name. Amen. I really like the amplified version of this verse. How many of you read more than one Bible translation when you're studying? That's a really healthy tool, by the way. And if you don't have a physical Bible in more than one translation, and you have a smartphone or the internet, there's this really great app called the YouVersion Bible app. I was going to open it and show you all. That's not going to work from this distance, though, is it? Uh, but you can search for that in your app store or in the Google Play store. And on that app, there are tons of translations. And one of my favorite things about that translation is it's owned and controlled by a healthy church. And they have paid for a whole staff team to maintain and update this app. 
And so it's a quality app, and the purpose of it is your faith, your following of Christ to increase more and more. And so they're not making any money off of it. They don't want anything from you. They just want to bless you with this quality app that allows you to read. It allows you to take notes and study and highlight. You can even study with your friends. You can connect with them on this app. So I suggest, if you don't have a way of reading multiple translations, that you grab that. It's super easy to use. And if you want help, I'd be happy to help you learn how to use the app. I think in 10, 15 minutes, you could be practically an expert. Jane Schusman, do you have a U version, Y-O-U version, the U version Bible app. There are other apps if you have one already. Don't delete that one. It's not Pastor Chris says you have to have this. It's just a useful tool. Okay, digression complete. Let's get back to the message. So love the amplified version of this verse. May the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may, that shouldn't say about, it should say abound, autocorrect for the wind, and be overflowing, bubbling over with hope. So may that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound and be overflowing or bubbling over with hope. Such a good thing. You know, it's been said that you can live a few weeks without food, and you can live a few days without water, and you can live a few minutes without oxygen, but you can't live a few seconds without hope. Hope is so necessary for our existence. Without hope, we don't just feel apathetic. We feel antipathy. We feel like life should end. Why would I even be here? A bunch of years ago, uh, for work, I had to go to a training where we learned to intervene in the lives of people who had suicidal ideation, which is a really nice and scientific way of saying people who want to end their own life. Now, this is a very precarious and important moment in someone's life. In that moment, they're deciding whether they live or whether they die. And what's wild is that God had this appointment in my life. I didn't want to go to this training. This isn't a fun subject to think about, right? And I went to this training and they told me that the reason that people want to take their own life is because they're experiencing so much pain in some way, physical pain, emotional pain, psychological pain, that they just want to give up on life. I don't even want to be here anymore. I don't have any hope. I don't see a way out of the situation that I'm in. And that meant that what we needed to do as interveners was to help them find hope again to talk with them about their pain, the difficulty that they're in, and to work with them to commit to make a plan. And either you personally, if you're connected with them, or find resources that are personally connected with them so that they can move out of the place of despair and again live in a place of hope. Now, as I said, God used that as a divine appointment because just a few weeks later, uh, I had a friend call me, a really close friend, and he called me and he said, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't have any hope left, and I need you to help me. You know, and so there's this moment where hope and darkness collided. And guess what? Hope won. Hope won. My friend heard hope in the midst of that. He again found a reason to live. And that, that wasn't me, right? I got off the phone with him. He lives thousands of miles away. I got off the phone with him, and I just said, thank you, Lord, because two weeks ago, I wouldn't have known what to do. 
could have been lost and overwhelmed. But the Lord used that class to show me the importance of hope in everyone's life. So what my friend called me hopeless and ready to end his, I knew how to share hope with him. Hope was able to bubble over in me, even in the midst of something that would normally cause most of us deep fear and sorrow, right? A close friend saying, this is it. I think it's over for me. And so let's talk about hope and the hope that can bubble over inside of us and how we get there. So as I said, you need hope. You need hope in your life. Now, before we talk just about hope in a specific way, I want to talk about it in a general way. What do you hope for? Last week, were you hoping for a nice Thanksgiving? Did you hope that you called or got phone calls from your loved ones and friends wishing you a Thanksgiving? Or we don't make phone calls anymore, do we? We send texts of turkeys and memes of people dancing with fowl on their heads. I got a few of those. I chuckled, right? But it was still that reach out connection that says, I love you and I'm thinking about you. How many of you hope for sunny weather? How many hope your roof doesn't leak because you know it needs to get repaired? How many of you hope your tires last till spring, right? We have all of these little hopes, don't we? But these aren't the hopes that we're looking for. Those hopes are like wishes or desires. Domino's Pizza inspires this sort of hope. Pizza at your door in 30 minutes or less, and it's free, right? But is that really hope? You know, if Domino's Pizza delivers in 31 minutes, are you crestfallen? Are you just like, oh, life was going to be so good, but my pizza arrived 60 seconds late, and now life is ruined and will never be good again? No, that's not real hope. That's us expressing, I wish, but we're mature adults, and we know that we can't act like two-year-olds, and so instead of being so self-centered that we announce our wishes everywhere we go, we hide our self-centeredness, and we say, I hope. And what we really mean is, I want what I want, and I really wish that it gets to me when I want it. That's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about our wishes and our desires. We are talking about real and deep hope. Hebrews says that our hope in Jesus Christ is the anchor of our soul. That's what hope is. Hope with Domino's Pizza or the phone call or the turkey or your tires or your house or whatever it is, is the cotton candy of life. We all like having cotton candy, right? Well, most of us who have most of our own teeth still like cotton candy, but we remember liking cotton candy too, right? That doesn't last. It doesn't nourish us, but the hope that we have in Christ is like an anchor for our soul. But there's a little bit of a rough part of that message, right? Do you need an anchor when your boat's in dry dock? When it's sitting on your trailer in your driveway or at the storage yard? No. Why not? What's going to happen to it there? Is it going to float away from your driveway? I mean, not unless if the big one comes, right? And then you're going to need a whole lot more for an anchor for your boat at that point in time. You're definitely going to need an anchor for your soul. We anchor things when we know there's a risk of that boat drifting away. I remember at scout camp, we had an experience where we were paddling and we, we had canoes. Canoes don't have anchors in them most of the time. And we launched our boats up onto this beach and we had like lunch or games or something there. And you had to drag your canoe up far enough that the lapping of the waves didn't do what? Draw your canoe away from the shore. Because what was going to happen if your canoe was drawn out onto the lake? 
you were going for a dip, right? <laughs> you were going to go swimming. Because you better believe that those 13 to 15-year-old boys were not going to lend you a hand and put you in their canoe to help you go get your boat. Ha <laughs> ha, joke's on you. Better take a paddle, buddy. So uh, you need to anchor your boat when there's the risk of it drifting away. And Hebrews tells us that there's two factors that can cause it to drift away. One is the relative comfort and security that causes us to feel lazy and a sense of insignificance for the moments in life that happen every day. In other words, some of us drift away because everything's fine and I don't need an anchor. What's the point of anchoring my soul today? I have nothing to worry about. And then the tides of life come in and things change and you turn around and all of a sudden you say, I've drifted away from Jesus. I've lost myself compared to him. But then there are other times where there's a storm that's brewing. There's a king tide that's coming. It's going to rock your boat. And so you need to anchor your boat so it doesn't go anywhere in the hard times of life. This is why we need hope. Not just because we want to have an anchor for our souls so that we feel secure. We need that security because hard things come. We all know that hard things are going to come. You and I know that we are going to go through trials at some point in time. They might be physical trials. Maybe you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis that you don't like. I have a friend who's having surgery this week because he has like carcinoma or sarcoma on his face and he's having massive amounts of his dermis taken off, the top layer of skin on the side of his face. That sounds incredibly painful to me and difficult. And he shared this with me, but he said, I have this supreme hope and I know who is in control. And even though this is going to be painful, and even though this is going to be scary, I'm not afraid because I know who has his hands on my life. That's hope, right? I mean, they're going to take away like a third of his face. That's going to be life-altering. And he says, nonetheless, I have Jesus, and so I have hope. Sometimes we go through moral trials, and there are things that are happening to us, and we want to act in ways that we know are not right. We want to take revenge. We want to enter into bitterness. We want to lie so we don't have to deal with accountability for a choice that we made. We want to hold something back that we owe to somebody else because it just costs a little too much. We want to build our fence one foot over on our neighbor's property line because we don't want to move our favorite rose bush. There's something happening inside of us that says, I don't want to do what I have to do. And so we find ourselves in a moral dilemma. And we need hope in that time anchor us so we don't violate God's ways and God's commands in our lives so we live in righteousness and we sow the fruit of righteousness or the seed of righteousness whose fruit is peace being willing to act in the wisdom of God's love we need hope because people around us are going to go through hard times and in that time they need someone to remind them of the anchor for their soul now mind you this doesn't mean that you have to be a stoic it doesn't mean that you have to be the rock. It, has, it means that you have to know who the rock is. Keep in mind that the God of all hope entered into his best friend's funeral, and what did he do? He wept. He had all the hope in the world. He knew what was coming next, and he still wept. You and I need hope for life more than we need air in our lungs. The issue is, is that there's no doctor who's checking up on your level of hope, right? You go to the doctor's office and you get on the scale and they say, 
yep, looks like you could lose a few pounds. At least that's what happens when I go there. And then they, they check your heartbeat and your blood pressure and all these things. And they, they give you the pills and the shots to keep your body healthy. But who cares for your soul? Who checks up on your level of hope? Who says, do you have enough hope to get through the seasons that you're in? Well, I'll tell you who. God does. Jesus does. This passage calls him the God of all hope. God is the God of hope. He is the source of hope. And he is the object of our hope. Do you remember your first crush? Do you remember how much hope you felt in that first crush? They would see you in the hallway, and what would you think? Oh boy, you were the 4th of July all of a sudden. You would see them around the corner, and you would think, wow, they are amazing. You would smell their hair from far away, not close, because you're not a creeper. And you would say, oh, that smells so good. Ladies, you would write their last name instead of your last name. You would think about the sock hop together. You had an incredible amount of hope in that relationship, right? That person became the object of your hope. You saw them and you felt hope inside. I know this because you felt a deep amount of life inside. Now that hope came with infatuation. What happened to that infatuation? It goes away, doesn't it? That hope didn't last. For some of us, we had 17 of those in a row, right, before we figured that out, but we knew that infatuation wasn't really hope. Unlike that infatuation, God isn't going anywhere. He is the one that you can trust in to hope in him. I want you to think about this. God has been in the hope business since before time began. He is the God of hope. He never stops being the God of hope. This God of hope looked at the nothingness of the universe, the vastness, the emptiness of the universe, and he said, I can do something with that. And he looked at the chaos, and he looked at the emptiness, and in his mind he had a vision, he had a hope. And so he said, light. And there was light, right? And then he continued to create everything in the universe. By his word alone, he created everything. Hope after hope after hope, every step of the way. And then he was looking at this world that he had created, and he said it was good. And it was filled with soil and water and sunlight and moonlight and stars and birds and fish and bacteria and every living thing. And he had more hope still. And so he raked some of the dust of the ground together. And he said, let us make mankind in our image. And he took dust and he formed man physically. And then he took his spirit and he breathed his breath into that pile of dust. And what happened? That dust became alive. God has so much power in his hope that dust became alive in the way that he wanted it to. What can you do with dust? I make bunnies, and then I throw them away. Some people make sandcastles. They don't last either. God is so amazing that he can make dust live, and then dust makes more dust. And that's why you're here. Because some chunk of dust that God gave life to found another chunk of dust that they loved enough to make more dust with. 
And God took that dust and made life. And when he looks at your life, do you know what he feels? Hope. Because he is the God of hope. Even the dirt of the ground is filled with goodness when there's hope. Isn't that awesome? That God can take the dust of our life and turn it into life itself. So amazing. But it doesn't stop there. Because he made that life filled with hope. And what happened? Adam and Eve sinned. They were told that if they sinned, what would happen? They would die. And so what were they doing? They were hiding. Have you ever hid out because you don't have hope? Man, I have. One instance from my childhood is burned into my head. My little brother had a knack for getting under your skin. Maybe you had a sibling like that. He would burrow his way in like a chigger, and it was bad. And so I was playing by myself because I was told, if you do something to hurt your brother again, you don't want to know what's going to happen to you. When your parents run out of descriptions for your punishment, you know that you're in trouble. Consequences beyond your wildest fears, Christopher Noel Garrison. And so I went up to the sandbox to construct, construct the city of my dreams. I was playing in the dust looking for life. And I had the city laid out, and I was just about to put the curbs on the street. I was a detailed architect at seven years old. And my brother came, and he looked at me with that wry, burrowing look in his eyes. And he entered into the adjacent shed proudly, and he returned with a yellow plastic hoe. And then he proceeded to come and plant a farm on my city. I was not going to stand for this injustice. And so I ripped that yellow plastic hoe out of his hand. And I was raising it above my head that the mighty justice of Chris would fall upon my younger brother when I heard the words of my mother. Chris, I told you if you did that again... Man, I turned into the flash faster than you can imagine. No longer justice, but fear was reigning. And I hid because I had no hope but fear in the darkness of the deep reaches under my bed where the monsters live. I was safer with them. Have you been so lacking hope that you hid? Adam and Eve were. But when God entered the garden... He didn't enter saying, Adam, I told you if you ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you would die and so help me, me, I will slay you today. See, he can't say so help me God, he is God, right? <laughs> he entered into the garden and he called out their name and he said, where are you? With love and hope. He entered into death, and he made a way because he is the God of hope. And he covered their nakedness, and he addressed their shame with truth and love, and he told them about sacrifice, and he meted out just consequences, not just on them, but on the one who led them into sin. Life was going to be different, but he was going to be with them. He wasn't going to stop being their God. And he gave them a promise. One will come to deliver you from sin. And your enemy will strike him on the heel, but he will crush the head of the evil one. He will deliver you from this darkness, Adam and Eve. 
there is hope even in death. But God didn't stop there. Because what about Noah? And what about Abraham? And what about Isaac? And what about Jacob? And what about David? And what about the nation of Israel? And what about you? And what about me? God never stops being the God of hope. Whenever he enters in, which is always, he enters with hope. It doesn't mean there's not serious things to be done. It doesn't mean it's going to be an easy time, but it means that he has a plan and he has a purpose and he's going to see it through to the good ending that he had planned before you even felt like you messed up the only thing that you shouldn't mess up, his plan for your life. God is the God of hope and you can trust in him. He is the source of all hope. And we need to remember this though, because we are so willing to gobble up the little hopes of life. We're so willing to gobble up the desire to go to that new movie that's coming out, to buy that new pair of shoes, to have dinner with that one person, to receive that one phone call, to be acknowledged for the thing that we did, to find our significance and our security and our source and everything around us. But these hopes, they will always let us down. They are not the true anchor of your soul. And so you need to give up the little hopes, the worthless hopes, the hopes that seem so awesome, but they aren't. They're actually like poison. And the temptation to hold on to them like you are meant to hold on to Jesus happens to all of us. And so you need to know where the greater hope is. And you need to hold on to that hope alone. Because God is the God of hope. He is the source. And he is the one who delivers us. Next, Paul tells us that hope needs two ingredients. Joy and peace. He says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. And by the way, I think the translation would better read, and all peace, so that as you believe, you may overflow with hope abundantly by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God, in order to build your hope, is going to bring into your life joy and bring into your life peace. Now, when we think of joy, joy is often a feelings-based thing, right? Is Paul saying, may God put you on an emotional high May he just put you on that plateau so you're just feeling amazing at that moment. So then in that moment when you're just feeling awesome that you will overflow with hope abundantly. No. You know why? Because it doesn't last, does it? Does God want you to have just a little bit of hope in just a little moment of your life? No, he wants you to have supreme hope in every moment of your life. And so it's not that feelings-based joy. It is biblical joy. Joy that says, my heart is supremely satisfied in Jesus. Joy is about Jesus. It's not about our feelings. Joy is looking at who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what he is doing for us and what he's going to do for us and say, my heart is so satisfied in you, Jesus, that I am on top of the world. Have you felt that before? I often have that moment when I'm in trials, 
And I hate that I noticed that in trials. I wish I noticed that when everything was good. Because if I did, then I could live Flint's life motto. No pain, no pain. But for some reason, when there's no pain, I often feel satisfied in the fact that there's no pain. That there's just goodness around me. And so I've had to teach my heart to find joy in the Lord in everything. And the amazing thing is, is as I do that, everything can become an act of worship. If I find joy in a ribeye steak, I have it for approximately 14 and a half ounces until the need of Maalox hits me, right? But if I have joy in the Lord as I eat that delicious bit of cow, then it's an act of worship to eat the ribeye, isn't it? Yeah, that's a pretty awesome thing. You could do the same thing with kale. It's a little harder for me to do that with kale, but maybe for you it's easier but I can have joy in the Lord during my physical experiences of life. Because the physical experience of life is not the dominant part of life, although we tend to experience it that way. The reality is the spiritual nature of your life is the dominant part of your life. And so you need to let the joy of Jesus lead you in all of your physical happenings. Whether you're driving your car or buying your groceries or grilling your steak or taking a sliver out of your hand or whatever it is. Because Jesus is there in the midst of it. And when you do that, then you start to find joy in everything that happens. Because you realize that Jesus is with you always. And your heart is supremely satisfied in him. And this plays out in little ways and in big ways. How many of you have been inconvenienced by the person in front of you at the checkout aisle? Having things without price tags or barcodes? And then they have a coupon for that thing, but they just can't find it. So they're emptying their pockets and their wallets and their shoes. And then they say, I must have left it in my car. You're like, for Pete's sake. Come on, it's 50 cents. I'll give you the money. Can we just check out, right? What do you lose in that moment? Your joy. Because Jesus is not right there in front of you. I mean, he is, but your problems become bigger than him. And so you lose your satisfaction in the Lord over 153 seconds in your life. It sounds like a lot of time, but it's not. What if we learn to have joy even in those hardships, those little moments? Because if we don't, we're going to have grumpiness. We're going to have anger. We're going to have the scowl in our face. We're going to have the inability to return the look of I'm sorry with a look of your love. Maybe we don't make eye contact because we don't want to tell them what our eyes are about to tell them, right? In that moment, God wants you to have joy above the seconds that you lost, above the thing that you're missing on TV, the dinner you're going to be late for, the plans that you had to get something done. He wants you to have joy in that. So the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to increased joy. He's going to Fill your life with moments where you can put Jesus first, where you can trust him, where you can say, my heart is satisfied in Jesus and Jesus alone. And he's going to do that in two ways. First of all, he's going to lead you to worship. When we worship God, our hearts become satisfied in him. How many of you have experienced that? You're singing a song in church. You're singing a song by yourself in the car. You're listening to something on the radio in the shower. And then your heart just goes boom. And everything around you kind of fades. And you just go, wow, Jesus, in you alone am I satisfied. 
everything else gets diminished and you become greater. It's like that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what will happen? The things of the world will disappear in the light of his glory and grace, right? And sometimes we sing that we mean all of the bad things, right? But the reality is that everything else diminishes in who Jesus is. And so as we worship, we learn what it feels like, what it looks like to put Jesus in that place of preeminence where he's above everything else and our ability to have joy increases as we rejoice, as we return to joy and express it again in who Jesus is. Now, I love those moments and I've learned in my life to practice that, to worship Jesus, not just with you all, but every day because I need my heart to learn to have joy so that I can have hope. And then there's the obstacle course that you're going to come across where there's going to be pain and distractions and trials and tribulations. And Jesus is going to take that time where you learn to rejoice in the song and he's going to say, now apply it here. Now apply it here. Even though the vine is barren, even though the fig tree is not blossoming, even though the crops are fading, fading, even still, I will praise the Lord because I don't need goodness from the world to bring my life satisfaction because I have satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. Have you prayed that God would put you in his school of joy? Have you prayed that God would teach you to be satisfied in Christ alone? Him first and foremost, him always in every moment? Because if not, you're going to be looking for littler joys. And you're going to need new ones constantly. So you're going to need new people. You're going to need a bigger TV. You're going to need a better car. You're going to need a bigger job. You're going to need an upgraded spouse. You're going to need an upgraded you. You will find life wholly dissatisfying eventually without Jesus. Because Jesus wants to lead you to a place where you would be satisfied in him and him alone. Next, Paul tells us that we need peace. If you're going to experience the hope of Christ, you need peace. And I've got good news for you because the Lord wants to lead you to his peace. Now there's two types of peace that the Bible talks about. The first is peace with God. The second is peace from God. This is talking about peace from God, but you don't get much peace from God if you don't have peace with God. Peace with God is the prerequisite for peace from God. How many of you went to enroll in a college course and you found out from the registrar, I'm really sorry, you can't take advanced underwater basket weaving until you take basic underwater basket weaving. And so you're going to have to do that class first and you found yourself disappointed that you didn't have the prerequisites to do the course that you really wanted to do. Anybody else experienced that before? Yeah, me too. I'm not very good at reading fine print as it turns out. I learned that by my senior year. This peace with God is a prerequisite for peace from God. If you do not have peace with God yet, I want to invite you into that peace today. The Bible says, even if you don't feel it, that if you have not put your faith in Jesus, that you are at enmity with God. Now, you might not feel that, and you might not agree with that, but God is telling you, if you have not reconciled with me through my son, that you are at war with me because you are living for the kingdom of the earth 
not the kingdom of my son. And so you're fighting me, but I don't want you to fight me. In fact, I love you more than your fight against me. Have you ever experienced that in your life before, where someone loves you more than the wrong that you've done towards them? How good does it feel in that moment to receive gracious love? Well, God has gracious love for you beyond measure. And so he says, I tell you what, no matter what you've done to fight against me, no matter what you've done for yourself in this life instead of for me, I want to forgive you. And I sent my son to pay the price for whatever you owe me so that if you just trust in him, then we will be at peace and you will have everlasting life. God talks about it like a peace agreement at times in the Bible. Jesus actually tells a parable where he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. One king musters himself 10,000 men and he goes out to the field of, field of battle. But he gets to that field of battle and he sees when he arrives that the other king has 200,000 men. What king in that instance wouldn't send an ambassador of peace to say, can we reconcile our fight? because I don't want to die today. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. He's literally saying, hey, if you don't have peace with me, you are facing a force that is unimaginably huge compared to you. And you might think that you're going to stand up before that force and win. But I'm here to tell you that you won't. Jesus says at some point in time, your physical life is going to end, and then you're going to meet that force. And you will stand before that force who is God, and God will say, I am going to judge you as to your works, whether you deserve eternal life in my courts forever or eternal condemnation in the lake of fire. And then you're going to bring out your best good deeds on earth. And you're going to bring out your worst bad deeds on earth. And you will be judged according to your human works. But God is here today telling you, I will make peace with you. You don't have to wait until that moment to be judged by God. Right now, today, you can say, God, I know that I have done wrong in your sight, and that if I wait, I will be judged as deserving death. But I don't want eternal death. I want eternal life. And so I'm here to trust your son today. I'm here to say, would you apply his payment on my behalf? I believe that he died on the cross for me. I believe that he rose again for me, and I want peace with you. And you know what's amazing? God is gracious, and he will give you that peace instantly and permanently. He will say, whatever is between us is gone, and you are completely forgiven. God says your sin will be removed from you as far as the east is from the west. He says your wrongdoing will be taken from you, and it will be plopped in the deepest ocean that I have named forgetfulness, and I will never look on it again, and you will only have peace with me as far as I'm concerned. And so I urge you today, if you don't have that peace with God, make peace with him. Tell him you want that peace. Tell him you trust his son to give you that peace, and you will have it. Now, if you have that peace with God, you now can have peace from God, because God wants to put peace into your life. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control are all part of the fruit of the Spirit. And God wants to cultivate peace in you. But beyond that, God will give you peace that passes all understanding when you seek it. 
I remember the first time I encountered this as a believer in Jesus. I was a young youth leader, and I had just led a lock-in for middle school and high school students, and I was driving home after this really successful and great event, but I was really tired, so I threw everything into my car in a disheveled manner, and I was speeding along on the way home because I always sped everywhere when I was 20 years old because I was dumb. Anyways, I was driving on this road, and I hit black ice. Anybody hit black ice before? But I was on an S-curve on a narrow country road, and I was going a tidge bit too fast, or a lot, depending upon the conditions. And so I lost control of my vehicle, and I started to turn 360s on the road. And when that happened, something inside said, I'm no longer in control. I can't do anything about this. And as this accident is happening, I take my feet off the gas, I take my hands off the steering wheel, and I just say, Lord, if this is it, Thanks for the great ride, and I'll see you in a second. And if it's not, thank you as well. And I just sat there. I didn't freak out. I didn't worry. I took everything wrong in that situation, and I just said, at least I have hope in the Lord. I gave him all of my concerns, and a peace that passed understanding washed over me. I mean, if your car is flipping out on the highway, do you have peace inside? I know I normally don't, but there was this peace over me in that moment that I, didn't, I wasn't bothered by anything. I remember the moment where the sides of my tires went off the road and hit the soft shoulder. I remember the moment where I looked up and I said, I don't think Monopoly pieces belong on the ceiling. I remember the moment where pieces of my car are flying off and trees are breaking in front of me. I remember the moment that it was over and I wasn't staring into the bright lights of heaven. I was looking at my dashboard and my windshield and realizing that I was completely okay. Airbags didn't go off. Windows around me didn't shatter. My radiator was gone. My engine was pushed back. The frame of the car was bent up here. But I was 100% okay. And I was 100% okay inside too. And I went, boy, that was really dumb. And God is really good. He gave me peace that passes all understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you experienced this in your life before? The moment where the defecation is about to hit the high-speed oscillator, if you know what I mean? You're very concerned about the outcome, and you give it all to God. You say, God, I've got this high-speed oscillator, and i got this big pile of stuff that I don't know what to do with, but you're in charge. And if it's about to blow up on me, so be it, Lord. But I need you here in the midst of what's about to happen. I need your peace in the midst of this. God can give you peace that passes all understanding. That is one of the ingredients of hope, that you would find this peace from God. And you know what's amazing? Is God wants to give you joy and peace. And what does Paul say? How much does he want to give you? A little bit of joy and peace? All joy, all peace, so that nothing would be lacking in you, so that you have enough always an amazing, amazing thing that you can take to the bank. Next, the passage shows us that gaining hope is a joint effort between you and the Holy Spirit. He says, right there, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ridden a tandem bicycle before? It's kind of fun, right? 
Is it easy to ride a tandem bicycle alone? Is it easy to ride a tandem bicycle alone if you're in the back seat? No. In this ride of the pursuit of hope, that's where we are. We don't get the front seat in the bike. That belongs to the Holy Spirit. He needs to direct. He needs to drive. He's got more leg power than you do. He's going to go to hope, but he's waiting for you to get on the bike. He's waiting for you to believe. He's waiting for you to get on and trust. He's waiting for you to pedal when he says pedal and to chill when he says to chill. He's waiting for you to trust him as he drives. You need to engage your faith if you want hope. You need to live in that moment by faith if you want hope. You can't live without faith and have this hope from God that is necessary for life. Notice that the author of Hebrews says that Jesus and our hope in Jesus is the anchor of the soul. He doesn't say just hope in general is the anchor of the soul. He says hope in Jesus. You know, that's what faith is. Hebrews 12, 1, no, 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 11, 1, says that faith is the hope of the things that are unseen. It's this sure, convinced knowledge that what God says is true and I can rely on it. We tend to think of hope as this feeling about everything's going to be okay. But biblically, hope is this certainty. I am convinced that everything is going to be okay. We want hope to be a hot air balloon ride. Jesus calls hope a yoke of discipleship, a weight that we bear up under. By the way, he says that burden is easy and that yoke is light, but he doesn't say, come and get into my hot air balloon in faith. I'm going to show you wonders of the world. He says, come and walk with me and I will show you the wonders of me. And so hope is activating your faith in all circumstances. Hope is the key. And the Holy Spirit will open the door. And he will invite you into what you are looking for in him. You need to activate your faith in order to have hope. You need to partner with the Holy Spirit in your life in order to have hope. This is good news. Because you can't generate the hope of Christ on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to show you that Jesus is greater, that Jesus is bigger, that Jesus is stronger. I love the song that Mindy picked right before we, we had this sermon here, that holy, holy, God Almighty, the great I am. And the start of it said, I want to be close to you, right? So that death is a lie. That my physical body I know will die, but I know that ultimately life is in you. I'm spiritually alive in you. I don't even have to fear death. I have hope that is bigger than death. It's a song of faith. And it's a song where God gets greater and our fears get smaller. It's a song where hope grows and our despair dies. And that's what we need. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into. Jesus wants to fill you with hope. I love that. He may fill you with all joy and all peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope. Isn't that awesome? That you might overflow with hope? A bunch of years ago, my wife and I were part of a church and every year at Christmas, we would raise money to drill wells for clean water in places around the world where they don't have clean water. If you don't know that this is an issue the world over, most of the world population doesn't have access to clean water like we do. They can't turn on the kitchen sink and get a glass of cool, refreshing water and just drink it right away. 
If they have a sink, they have to boil the water or buy the water because it has parasites. Many of them don't have water in their homes. They have to trek for miles with jugs to gather water from where the hippopotamuses also make their water and other things. And so the water is unclean. It's filled with bacteria. It's filled with single-celled organisms that are parasites, and they can't drink it, but they need water because they need water to live. And so they take it home, and they drink it, and they get sick, and a lot of them die. But there are organizations, Christian organizations around the world, who raise money to drill water wells so that these people can have the water of life. And they take with them the message of the living water. Isn't that awesome? And so they go into this town with this massive drilling rig, and everybody on the rig is a Christian, and they start drilling for water and drilling for water, and everybody's watching. And then they hit clean water, and they put in the pipe, and they put in the well point, and they put in the pump, and then the water turns on. And these people who had to take jugs for miles and miles, it would take them hours a day to get water to live, right in the middle of their town, they have clean, living water. And you know what I see them doing? I see them dancing in the water. I see them putting their buckets under it, and the buckets are overflowing. There's gobs and gobs of water. Jesus wants you to have that much hope. But the thing is, is that so often we treat hope like it's the most expensive thing on the planet. We don't share our hope. We treat it like if we spill it, we're going to run out. We spill a little hope, and I'm so sorry, Jesus. I, I spilled my hope out. And we're cleaning it up, and we're hiding it, and we're making sure that nobody knows where our hope is. It's not supposed to be that way. You don't just have a little bit of hope. You have abundant hope. God has drilled a well point of hope in your life so that you have clean, real, fresh hope in Christ, and it's never going to run out. He's never going to give up. He's never going to forsake you. He's been in the hope business since eternity, and he wants you to have hope every day of your life, everywhere you go. He wants to fill you with hope so that you're overflowing like those buckets in Africa, not fearing where the next hope is going to come from, because he will always give you more hope. He wants you overflowing with hope. He wants you to be a bucket that's been filled for a thousand years and is just going to keep running over. He wants you to be like your gutters in February. The rain isn't stopping and the water's pouring out still because the gutters are clogged. He wants hope everywhere in your life dripping out of you. And he can do that. And he can do that. And he, and only he, can do that. So where do you need hope? Where is hope lacking for you? Where do you long for change and transformation? Where is it in your life, the land of your soul, that you call that God-forsaken wasteland? God will never touch this. He won't heal me of my past shame and my despair. He won't work in the life of my prodigal child who has walked away. I toasted my marriage six years ago, and it hasn't been the same. I'm so lonely. I need deeper intimacy. I don't know God. I've been trying, and I never hear him, and I never experience him. Today, would you invite the God of all hope into that place? Because overflowing doesn't just look like in one place. 
that looks like hope everywhere and everything. And he wants to do that because he wants you to be so sure that he is the God of hope that you'd be willing to overflow with that hope to someone else in your life who's probably experienced that exact same thing. So let's take a moment and do things, two things. Let's thank the God of hope who cares enough about us to be in our lives. And let's ask God to touch us and to bring us that hope so that we might overflow all the more. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God of all hope. When we turn on the news, when we read the newspaper, when we talk with our friends and neighbors, it seems like there's all sorts of situations of despair and fear and hopelessness. And our minds and our hearts rush to those places. In each of us, there are places that we have given up hope in you, and we have begun to seek hope in other things. We've drowned the pain, we've shut it up and compartmentalized it, we've turned to earthly remedies to heal us. Lord, would you bring us hope in those places? Would you reach down and touch us and bring healing? Would you fill us with hope abundantly? Would you help us in those moments of fear and hurt and sorrow to turn to you and say, you are the God of all hope. Would you fill me with your joy and your peace to overflowing? Because if you leave me alone, I'm not going to have that. We thank you, God, that this is your will, that you want us to have hope. We thank you, God, that Jesus is clear that when we ask for something in your will, you give it. And so we thank you for the confident assurance that we can have that you will lead us to be overflowing with hope, that you will fill us with all peace and that you will fill us with all joy. And we eagerly await the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives as we walk by faith. Thank you, Father, for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.